Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, this is Chris, the public safety guru, a.k.a. the EMT tutor, bringing you this exciting announcement. I have revamped memberships, and you can now access exclusive content, which includes quizzes, practice tests, block exams, practice final exams, study guides, and other resources for the low cost of $4.99 a month. And when you're done with your EMT program or taking the National Registry exam, you can cancel. Now, you can join from your favorite podcast app, but it's best if you do it from Spotify or our Patreon channel. If you join from your podcast app, all you need to do is send me an email to thepublicsafetyguru at gmail.com letting me know that you signed up. But if you do it from Patreon, I get instant notification, which grants you instant access to our Google Drive, which has all of these resources, including the ad-free version of this podcast. But wait, here is the most exciting part. When you subscribe, you get access to our all-new Discord channel, which allows you to have interaction with me, where you can ask me specific questions as it relates to your EMT program or prepping for the National Registry exam. But let's just say you just have that question where you're not understanding something. Well, we can answer that question through Discord, and that's what I'm really excited about. And last, you can interact with this EMT community and help each other. All right, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the EMT Tutor, and I almost forgot, if you're looking for us at Patreon, search for the EMT Tutor. All right, let's get on with your learning. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna ask all of you at the end of this podcast to utilize the poll to answer a very important question regarding the future of this podcast. Unfortunately, due to rising expenses, it is becoming very expensive to produce this podcast, and thus, I'm going to have to possibly implement subscriptions for everyone to listen to this podcast series. Unfortunately, I was hoping that advertisers would come to this podcast and fund the podcast through advertising campaigns, but unfortunately, that has not happened. And thus, I was also hoping that maybe some people would support this podcast through the podcast memberships and Patreon channel, and unfortunately, that has not happened either. So with that, I'm asking you, the listeners, what you feel would be a fair price for me to charge for a monthly subscription that allows you to not only listen to this entire podcast series, but to give you access to all of that exclusive content I've been talking about, such as the study guides, quizzes, and tests. So please stick around and take that poll as it's very important for the future of this podcast. All right, let's get on to your learning now. After you listen to this podcast, you, the EMT student, should understand how to manage a patient with abdominal and genital urinary trauma. You, the student, should be able to recognize life threats associated with these injuries and the need for immediate intervention. As before, we will always discuss the anatomy and physiology of abdominal and genital urinary systems, as well as the pathophysiology, complications, assessment, and management of these injuries. Your assessment is going to be very comprehensive, 
as we will follow the typical primary and secondary model. We will discuss specific injuries that include blunt versus penetrating mechanisms, eviscerations, impaled objects, injuries to the external genitalia, vaginal bleeding secondary to trauma, and sexual assault. Last, we're going to discuss the medical management as it relates to blunt abdominal injury, penetrating abdominal injury, and abdominal evisceration. Now, as before, we will discuss the knowledge domains that you, the EMT student, should know at the end of this lecture so that you are successful in your particular EMT program or your preparation for the NREMT examination. All right, let's talk about those knowledge domains. You, the EMT student, should be able to describe the anatomy and physiology of the abdomen, including the abdominal quadrants and the organs that are found within each quadrant, including if the organs are hollow or solid. You should also be able to describe some of these special considerations as it relates to pediatric patients and geriatric patients who have experienced abdominal trauma. You should be able to define what a closed abdominal injury is and provide examples of the MOIs that are associated with these injuries. You should also know and understand common signs and symptoms as it relates to patients with closed abdominal injuries. And on the other side of that, you should be able to define open abdominal injuries, including the three common velocity levels that distinguish these injuries and provide examples of the MOI that would cause each and the common signs and symptoms associated with patients suffering from these injuries. You should also, as we mentioned before, describe the different ways that hollow and solid organs of the abdomen can be injured, including the common signs and symptoms exhibited by patients depending on which organ has been involved. You should be able to explain the assessment of a patient who has experienced an abdominal injury, including common indicators that help determine the MOI and whether it is significant or insignificant. You should be able to explain the emergency medical care of a patient who has sustained a closed abdominal injury, including blunt trauma caused by seat belt or airbag. You should be able to explain the emergency medical care of a patient who has sustained an open abdominal injury, including penetrating injuries and abdominal viscerations. Additionally, you should be able to describe the anatomy and physiology of the female and male genital urinary systems, including the differences between hollow and solid organs. You should be able to discuss the types of traumatic injuries sustained by the male and female genital urinary systems, including the kidneys, urinary bladder, and internal and external genitalia. You should be able to explain the assessment of a patient who has experienced a genital urinary injury, including special considerations related to patient's privacy and determining the MOI. You should also be able to explain the emergency medical care of a patient who has sustained a genital urinary injury to the kidneys, bladder, external male genitalia, female genitalia, and rectum. You should be able to explain special considerations related to a patient who has experienced a genital urinary injury caused by a sexual assault, including patient treatment, criminal implications, and evidence management. While I do know this sounds like a lot, once again, we are going to break these up into little chunks so you can better digest this lecture. All right, let's get on to your learning. The abdomen is the major body cavity 
extending from the diaphragm to the pelvis. It contains the organs that make up the digestive, urinary, and genitourinary systems. It is important for the EMT to know the anatomy of the abdomen and pelvic cavities and where organs are located. You need to understand the functions of the organs so you can assess an injury's seriousness. Now, significant trauma to the abdomen can occur from blunt trauma, penetrating trauma, or both. Injuries to the abdomen that go unrecognized and are not repaired in surgery are a leading cause of traumatic death. 10% of all trauma patients have some form of genitourinary tract injury. All right, now let's talk about the anatomy and physiology of the abdomen. Abdominal quadrants. The abdomen is divided into four quadrants. The quadrant location of bruising or pain can delineate which organs are possibly involved in a traumatic injury. The organs that are commonly found in the right upper quadrant include the liver, gallbladder, duodenum of the intestines, small portion of the pancreas. Now organs found in the left upper quadrant are the stomach and spleen. Organs found in the left lower quadrant are the descending colon and the left half of the transverse colon. The organs found in the right lower quadrant include the large and small intestines, the ascending colon and the right half of the transverse colon, as well as the appendix. Now the right lower quadrant is a common location for swelling and inflammation. The appendix is a source of infection and can cause severe infection or septic shock if it ruptures. All right, now let's talk about what is hollow and what is solid. The abdomen contains hollow and solid organs. The hollow organs of the abdomen include the stomach, intestines, ureters, and bladder. Most of these organs contain food that is in the process of being digested, urine that is being passed to the bladder for release, or bile. When ruptured or lacerated, the contents spill into the peritoneal cavity. This can cause intense inflammatory reaction and possible infection. Peritonitis is an inflammation of this type. It is serious and may become life-threatening. Signs include severe abdominal pain, tenderness, and muscular spasm. Intestinal blood supply comes from the mesentery, which is a fold of tissue that connects the small intestine to the abdominal wall. Patients with injuries to the mesentery can bleed significantly into the peritoneal cavity. Signs of this include abdominal rigidity and peri-umbilical bruising. The solid organs of the abdomen include the liver, spleen, pancreas, and kidneys. These organs perform the chemical work of the body. They produce enzymes, they are blood cleansing, and energy production. Because of their rich blood supply, hemorrhage of solid organs can be severe. All right, we're now gonna talk about injuries specific to the abdomen. Abdominal injuries are considered either open or closed and can involve hollow and or solid organs. Let's first talk about closed abdominal injuries, which are considered blunt trauma to the abdomen without breaking the skin. All right, let's now identify some of the common MOIs that you may see in closed abdominal injuries. One of them is when your abdomen strikes a steering wheel or when your abdomen strikes the handlebars of a bicycle or being involved in a motorcycle collision, a fall, 
being near a blast, a pedestrian injury, in other words, getting struck by a car. And then there are these things called compression injuries, and these are typically caused by a poorly placed seatbelt. It creates an injury pattern called a clasp knife injury. That's C-L-A-S-P dash knife. This can also be caused when a person is run or rolled over by a vehicle or heavy object. Now we also have deceleration injuries. The best way to think about a deceleration injury is when a person is traveling in a motor vehicle. If the speed of the motor vehicle is 50 miles an hour, that means the body is traveling at 50 miles an hour and the organs inside the body are traveling at 50 miles an hour. Now, the vehicle then gets into a collision where it strikes an immovable object. Well, at that point in time, the vehicle will strike this object causing it to now suddenly stop. The body will now move forward, hopefully being restrained by the seatbelt, but unfortunately, those organs inside of our body that were traveling at 50 miles an hour will now move forward, striking the inside of the body, thus causing possible trauma and that would be considered a deceleration injury. This happens in other types of scenarios such as falls. So just keep that in back of your mind when you hear the word deceleration injury. All right, now let's talk about some of the signs and symptoms of a closed injury. The pain, first of all, can be very deceiving. It's often diffuse in nature. In other words, it's all over. So the patient won't just have pain in one particular area, they'll have pain diffusely throughout the abdominal region possibly. It may be referred to another body location. For example, liver and spleen injuries refer pain to the shoulder. Now a tearing pain from the abdomen posteriorly may be a dissecting aneurysm. Pain following the angle from the lateral hip to the midline of the groin can be the result of damage to the kidneys or the ureters. One more time. Pain following the angle from the lateral hip to the midline of the groin can be the result of damage to the kidneys or the ureters. Pain located in the right lower quadrant can indicate an inflamed or ruptured appendix. Pain under the margin of the ribs on the right side or between the shoulder blades can indicate an injury to the gallbladder. Blood or fluid in the peritoneal cavity produces acute pain in the entire abdomen. Pain spreads as the blood or contaminant seeks out the voids in the peritoneal cavity. A jarring motion, often referred to as rebound tenderness or the Blumberg sign, will alert the patient to the peritonitis or inflammation of the peritoneum. Now, determining the location of the pain or referred pain can be difficult when the patient has voluntary or involuntary guarding. Guarding is the conscious or unintentional stiffening of the muscles of the surface of the abdomen to avoid further pain. It may be mistaken for abdominal rigidity. Abdominal distension or swelling between the xiphoid process and the groin is often the result of free fluid, blood, or organ contents spilling in the peritoneal cavity. Additional signs of abdominal injury are bruising and discoloration. Closed abdominal injuries may initially appear as abrasions. All right now let's talk about injuries from seatbelts and airbags. Seatbelts have prevented many injuries and have saved many lives, but they occasionally cause blunt injuries to the abdominal organs. 
When worn properly, a seatbelt lies below the anterior superior iliac spines of the pelvis and against the hip joints. If seatbelts lie too high, it can squeeze abdominal organs or great vessels against the spine when the car decelerates or stops. They can also cause bladder injuries to pregnant patients who adjust the lap belt for comfort. In all current model vehicles, lap and diagonal belts are combined so they can be used independently. But people can still put the shoulder belt behind their backs. Now let's talk about open abdominal injuries. Open abdominal injuries are best defined as those injuries in which a foreign object enters the abdomen and opens the peritoneal cavity to the outside. These are also called penetrating injuries. Some common MOIs are stab wounds and gunshots. Open wounds can be deceiving, therefore you should maintain a high index of suspicion for unseen injuries, internal damages to organs, and potential life-threatening injuries. The velocity of the object can help predict the amount of damage to tissue. Under the knowledge domains, we talked about the three types of velocities in relation to open penetrating injuries. So they are low velocity injuries, medium velocity injuries, and high velocity injuries. Now, in low velocity injuries, these are injuries caused by handheld or hand-powered objects such as knives and other edge weapons. One more time, low velocity injuries are caused by handheld or hand-powered objects such as knives and other edge weapons. Medium velocity injuries are caused by small caliber handguns and shotguns. Medium velocity injuries are caused by small caliber handguns and shotguns. Now high velocity injuries, these are our larger weapons such as a high powered rifle or higher powered handguns. Now high and medium velocity injuries have temporary wound channels in addition to exit and entrance wounds. These are caused by cavitation. Now cavitation, this is a cavity that is formed as a pressure wave from the projectile is transferred to the tissues. It causes microscopic tears to the blood vessels and nerves and can produce a large amount of bleeding. The higher the velocity of the projectile, the larger the cavity it produces. You can see videos of cavitation on YouTube, so I would tell you to go over there and take a look. Now, lower velocity penetrations also have the capacity to damage underlying organs. Internal injury may not be apparent during your physical examination. Bleeding may hide the fact that the object went farther and deeper into the peritoneal cavity and injured other organs and tissues. Anytime a patient has an injury at or below the xiphoid process, it should be assumed that the thoracic and peritoneal cavities have been violated. We also have another type of open abdominal injury, and this is called an evisceration. An evisceration is when the bowels protrude from the peritoneum. This injury can be extremely painful and is also visually shocking as you're looking at the patient's intestines. Do not push down on the patient's abdomen. Only perform a visual assessment when you have a suspicion of this type of injury. Cut clothing close to the wound. Never pull on any clothing stuck to or in the wound channel. Now we have some general signs and symptoms of an open injury. Patients with abdominal injury complain of pain. A common sign of significant abdominal injury is tachycardia. 
the heart is increasing its pumping action to compensate for blood loss. Now, later signs include evidence of shock, which include a decreased blood pressure and pale, cool, moist skin. The patient's mental status will then become altered. The abdomen may also become distended as fluid and blood accumulate in the cavity. Now, a patient may have both closed and open injuries. Blood injuries should guide your attention to underlying structures. Bruises in the right upper quadrant may suggest injury to the liver. Bruises in the left upper quadrant may suggest injuries to the spleen. Bruises to the flank may suggest injuries to the kidneys. Bruises around the umbilicus, called Coolen's sign, C-U-L-L-E-N apostrophe S, are predictive of significant internal abdomen bleeding. We are now going to talk about hollow organ injuries. And these injuries often have delayed signs and symptoms. Now, hollow organs commonly spill their contents into the abdomen. Infections will develop, which can take hours to days. Stomach and intestines can leak highly toxic and acidic digestive liquids into the peritoneal cavity. Both blunt and penetrating trauma can cause hollow organ injuries. Blunt trauma causes the organ to pop, releasing fluids and air. Penetrating trauma causes direct injury such as lacerations and punctures. The gallbladder and the urinary bladder are hollowed organs whose contents, bile and urine, are potentially irritating and damaging if ruptured. These fluids move into loose spaces and voids in the peritoneal cavity, eventually leading to infection. Free air in the peritoneal cavity produces pain. It usually indicates that a hollow organ or loop of bowel has perforated. If not rapidly identified and repaired, severe infection and septic shock may develop. Now let's talk about those injuries to solid organs. Solid organs can bleed significantly and cause rapid blood loss. It can be hard to identify from a physical exam because a patient is not experiencing significant pain. Solid organs can also slowly ooze blood in the peritoneal cavity, causing pain to increase slowly over time. Now the liver is the largest organ in the abdomen. It is very vascular and can contribute to hypoperfusion if injured. It is often injured by a fractured lower right rib or penetrating trauma. A common finding during assessment of patients with an injured liver is referred pain to the right shoulder. Now the spleen and pancreas are also very vascular. They are both prone to heavy bleeding when fractured, lacerated, or punctured. The spleen is often injured from motor vehicle collisions, especially in cases of improperly placed seatbelts, steering wheel trauma, falls from heights or onto sharp objects, and bicycle and motorcycle accidents where the patient hits the handlebars on impact. If the diaphragm is penetrated or ruptured, loops of bowels may herniate into the thoracic cavity. Patients may exhibit dyspnea. Remember, they will feel short of breath. The kidneys can also be impacted or penetrated by trauma, and they can cause significant amounts of blood loss. A common finding is blood in the urine, which is referred to as hematuria, spelled H-E-M-A-T-U-R-I-A. Now, blood visible on inspection of the urinary metus, M-E-A-T-U-S, indicates significant trauma to the genotourinary system. 
Okay, that was a lot of information for the first 20 minutes of this podcast. So it is that time again, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go ahead and take that break. Stretch your legs, clear your head, grab something to drink, and come back and get ready to keep learning. I hope that we're breaking this up into chunks that are helping you to digest this information. Okay, let's go ahead and take that break. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're now going to talk about the patient assessment of abdominal injuries. Assessment of abdominal injuries is one of the most difficult assessments that you will perform. It's because the injury may be apparent, but resulting tissue damage may not be so apparent. Patients may be overwhelmed with other more painful injuries. Some abdominal injuries develop and worsen over time, making reassessment critical. Now let's first talk about scene size up. Standard precautions should be taken at the scene. Gloves and eye protection should be a minimum. Be sure the scene is safe for you. Call for additional resources early if needed. Now under mechanism of injury and nature of illness, observe the scene for early indicators of the MOI. Consider early spinal precautions and consider all of the injuries that the MOI could have produced. Now, regards to the primary assessment itself, first perform a rapid scan. This will help establish the seriousness of the patient's condition. Some abdominal injuries will be obvious and graphic, but most will be very subtle and will go unnoticed. Remember that in some cases of abdominal injuries, the injury may have occurred hours or days earlier. Form a general impression. Important indicators will alert you to the seriousness of the patient's condition. Trauma patients with closed abdominal injuries may have what appears to be minor injuries. You should not be distracted from looking for more serious hidden injuries. You'll then check for responsiveness using the AVPU scale. If needed, provide high flow oxygen via a non-rebreather mask to all patients whose level of consciousness is less than alert and oriented. Unresponsiveness may indicate a life-threatening condition. In trauma patients, life-threatening external hemorrhage must be addressed before airway or breathing. Once again, we're driving this point home. Now, under airway and breathing, ensure that the patient has a clear and patent airway. If a spinal injury is suspected, prevent the patient from moving. Clear the airway of vomitus so it is not aspirated into the lungs. Note the nature of the vomitus. In other words, is there blood in it? Is there chunks of food in it? Etc. A distended abdomen may prevent adequate inhalation. Providing supplemental oxygen will help improve oxygenation. Now under circulation, superficial abdominal injuries usually do not produce significant external bleeding. However, internal bleeding can be profound. Trauma to the liver, kidneys, and spleen can cause significant internal bleeding. Evaluate the pulse, skin color, temperature, and condition to determine the stage of shock. Treat aggressively if the patient is in shock. Now, as far as your transport decision, abdominal injuries generally indicate a quick transport to the hospital. A delay in medical evaluation may result in unnecessary and dangerous progression of shock. Patients with abdominal injuries should be evaluated at the highest level of trauma centers available. Now, under history taking, 
Clarify the chief complaint and MOI. Also identify associated signs and symptoms and pertinent negatives. Note the position in which the patient is lying. You should also take into consideration that movement of the body or the abdominal organs will irritate an inflamed peritoneum, causing additional pain. To minimize this pain, patients should lie still, usually with their knees drawn up. Their breathing will be rapid and shallow. Now under sample history, use OPQRST to help examine abdominal injuries. If the patient has experienced any nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, you want to know how many times and over what period. Ask about the appearance of any bowel movements and urinary output. Determine if there was any blood in the urine or black tarry stools, otherwise known as melena, M-E-L-E-N-A. This will help to determine if the patient has gastrointestinal bleeding and if there is bleeding in the lower intestinal tract. Now moving on over to the secondary assessment, you may not have time to perform this detailed comprehensive exam due to your patient being critical. Now, in regard to physical examinations, remove or loosen clothes to expose injured regions of the body. Inspect the patient for bleeding before removing the clothing to prevent damaging exposed tissues. Provide privacy or perform in the back of the ambulance. Patients should be able to stay in a position of comfort unless spinal injury is suspected. Allowing your patient to stay in a position of comfort will relieve some of the tension. However, if you do have to place your patient in spinal immobilization, consider placing padding under their knees to allow them a little bit more comfort. If you're a little aggressive in the spinal immobilization department, this could worsen the pain in your patient. Note that the fetal position may be the position of most comfort for a patient without spinal injury. Now, moving on. Examine the entire abdomen, including all posterior, anterior, and lateral surfaces. This is a critical step for patients with a possible entrance wound to these regions. Use DCAP BTLS to help identify specific signs and symptoms of injury. Inspect and palpate the abdomen for the presence of deformities. Look for the presence of contusions and abrasions. Puncture wounds and other penetrating injuries cannot be overlooked. The intra-abdominal extent of these injuries may be life-threatening. Note the presence of burns. Palpate for tenderness and attempt to localize to a specific quadrant of the abdomen. Treat lacerations with appropriate dressings. Swelling may involve the abdominal globally and indicate significant intra-abdominal injury. Palpate the abdomen when examining the region. Palpate the quadrant furthest away from the quadrant that is exhibiting signs and symptoms of injury and pain. This technique allows you to investigate the possibility of radiation and extension of the pain into other quadrants. Perform a full body scan to identify injuries other than abdominal injuries. Begin with the head and finish with the lower extremities, moving in a systematic manner. Remember, the goal is to identify the presence of other injuries, not the extent of those injuries. If you find a life-threatening issue, stop and treat it immediately. Assess the patient's need for spinal immobilization and 
apply it per your local protocols. Inspect and palpate the kidney area for tenderness, bruising, swelling, or other signs of trauma. Hollow organs will spill their contents into the peritoneal cavity. These injuries will typically present as diffuse pain with guarding and reaction to sudden jarring movements. Now, vital signs. Many abdominal emergencies can cause a rapid pulse and low blood pressure. Your documentation of vital signs will help you identify changes in the patient's condition. Use appropriate monitoring devices when available. Hopefully you have a pulse ox and a non-invasive blood pressure device. It is recommended that you always assess the patient's first blood pressure manually with a manual blood pressure cuff and stethoscope. If the MOI suggests an isolated injury to the abdomen, focus your physical examination on the injured area only. Inspect the skin of the abdomen for wounds through which bullets, knives, or other missile-type foreign bodies may have passed. If you find an entrance wound, you must always check for a corresponding exit wound. Do not attempt to remove a knife or other impaled object. Instead, stabilize the object with supportive bandaging. Okay, let's talk about reassessment now. Repeat the primary assessment and vital signs. Reassess the interventions and treatment you have provided. Now, in regard to interventions, manage airway and breathing problems based on signs and symptoms found during the primary assessment. Provide complete spinal immobilization to the patient with suspected spinal injuries. If the patient has signs of hypoperfusion, provide aggressive treatment for shock and rapid transport. If an evisceration is found, place a saline moistened dressing over the wound and transport. Never attempt to push eviscerated tissue or organs back into the abdominal cavity. A patient with a ruptured diaphragm may have an abdomen with a sunken anterior wall. These patients should receive positive pressure ventilation with a bag valve mask. Now under communication and documentation, communicate all relevant information to staff at the receiving hospital. Document the results of the physical examination and any pertinent negatives. It is imperative that you be able to describe the scene in enough detail to give the trauma team a clear idea of the circumstances. Be cautious and diligent when dealing with patients who refuse transport after sustaining an injury to the abdomen or, or genitourinary system. These patients are at a high risk for complications. All right, let's now talk about the emergency medical care of abdominal injuries. First, we're gonna talk about closed abdominal injuries. The EMT's biggest concern is not knowing the true extent of the closed abdominal injury. The patient requires rapid transport to the nearest and highest level of care, primarily to a trauma center with a surgeon. Position the patient for comfort. Apply high flow oxygen if the patient has signs of hypoxia or shock and treat for shock accordingly. A patient with blunt abdominal wounds may have severe bruising of the abdominal wall, liver and spleen laceration, ruptures of the intestine, tears in the mesentery, ruptures of kidneys or avulsion of kidneys from their arteries and veins, rupture of the urinary bladder, severe intra-abdominal hemorrhage, and peritoneal irritation and inflammation. 
A patient with blunt abdominal injuries should be log rolled to a supine position onto a backboard. Protect the spine. Monitor the patient's vital signs for indication of shock and treat appropriately. All right, let's now talk about open abdominal injuries. Patients with penetrating injuries will show obvious wounds and external bleeding. However, significant external bleeding is not always present. Maintain a high index of suspicion for serious unseen blood loss. Only a surgeon can accurately assess the damage. You should assume the object has penetrated the peritoneum and possibly injured other organs. Follow the general procedures described previously for care of a blunt abdominal injury as well as inspecting the patient's back and signs for an exit wound. Apply a dry, sterile dressing to all open wounds. If the penetrating object is still in place, apply a stabilization bandage around it to control external bleeding and to minimize movement of the object. Severe lacerations of the abdominal wall may result in evisceration. Remember, an evisceration is when internal organs or fat protrude through the wound. Never try to replace a protruding organ. Keep the organs moist and warm. Cover the wound with moistened sterile dressing. Secure the dressing with a bandage and secure the bandage with tape. And that is it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're now going to move from abdominal injuries to the genital urinary system. So let's first talk about the anatomy. The genital urinary system controls reproductive functions and waste discharge. Organs of the genital urinary system are located in the abdomen. Now, kidneys are solid organs. The urethers, bladder, and ureter are hollow organs. The genital system controls reproductive processes. The male genitalia lie outside the pelvic cavity except for the prostate gland and seminal vesicles. The female genitalia are contained entirely within the pelvis except the vulva, clitoris, and labia. Now let's talk about the injuries to this system. The first injuries we're going to talk about are kidney injuries. Now these are not unusual and rarely occur in isolation. A forceful blow or penetrating injury is often involved. Less significant injuries can result from an indirect blow. Suspect kidney damage if the patient has a history or physical evidence of any of the following. An abrasion, laceration, or contusion on the flank. Or a penetrating wound in the region of the lower rib cage and above the hip or the upper abdomen. Or a fracture on either side of the lower rib or of the lower thoracic or upper lumbar vertebrae. And last, a hematoma in the flank region. Now the next injury we're going to discuss are urinary bladder injuries. Urinary bladder injuries may result in a rupture. Urine spills out into surrounding tissues. Blunt injuries to lower abdomen or pelvis regions can cause ruptures to the urinary bladder, particularly when the bladder is full and distended. Penetrating wounds of the lower mid-abdomen or the perineum can directly involve the urinary bladder. In males, Sudden deceleration from a motor vehicle or motorcycle crash can shear the bladder from the urethra. In later trimesters of pregnancy, bladder injuries increase from displacement of the uterus. Now, let's talk specifically about external male genitalia injuries. These are soft tissue wounds. 
They are very painful and of great concern to the patient, but rarely life-threatening. You should not give priority over more severe wounds unless there is significant bleeding. All right, we're now going to discuss the female genitalia injuries. Internal female genitalia. This consists of the uterus, ovaries, and fallopian tubes and are rarely damaged. They are small, deep in the pelvis, and well protected. Exception is the pregnant uterus. The uterus enlarges substantially and rises out of the pelvis. Injuries can be serious because the uterus has a rich blood supply during pregnancy. Also keep the fetus in mind. In the last trimester of pregnancy, the uterus is large and may obstruct the vena cava. Blood pressure may decrease. The patient should be placed on her left side so the uterus will not lie on the vena cava. Okay, let's now talk about the external female genitalia. This would include the vulva, clitoris, and the major and minor labia at the entrance of the vagina. It has a very rich nerve supply, so injuries are very painful. Vaginal bleeding may occur because of penetrating or blunt trauma. Consider sexual assault and pregnancies when evaluating your patient. Ask the patient about the last known menstrual period. Ask about their sexual history. Assume all women of childbearing age are possibly pregnant. This information is relevant because some medication and tests are harmful for a fetus. In cases of external bleeding and trauma, a sterile absorbent sanitary napkin or pad may be applied to the labia. Do not insert instruments, glove fingers, or a tampon into the vagina. This can cause further damage. Alright, we're now going to talk about the patient assessment as it relates to the genital urinary system. Potential for patient embarrassment is going to be there. Maintain a professional presence. Provide privacy during assessment. When possible, have an EMT of the same gender perform the assessment. Look for blood on the patient's undergarments and only inspect the external genitalia when there are complaints of pain or external signs of injury. Now let's talk about scene size up. Assess the scene for hazards and threats to crew safety. Assess the impact of hazards on patient care. At minimum, gloves and eye protection are required. Minimize your direct contact with bloody fluids. Blood can be hidden under thick layers of clothing. Now, under mechanism of injury and nature of illness, look for indicators of the MOI. Consider information from dispatch, your observations of the scene, and the MOI to help develop your list of expected injuries. Your patient may avoid the discussion to avoid undergoing a physical examination. Patients may also provide an MOI that seems less embarrassing than the actual MOI. So keep that in back of your mind. Now under the primary assessment, quickly scan the patient to identify and treat life threats. The genital urinary system is very vascular. Injuries can produce a significant volume of blood. Do not avoid this area in the rapid scan. Life-threatening hemorrhages must be addressed immediately. If bleeding is present, maintain privacy for the patient and inspect exterior genitals for visible injury. Then you're going to form your general impression. Now, Under airway and breathing, ensure that the patient has a clear and patent airway. Protect the patient from further spinal injury if trauma was involved. If the patient is unresponsive or has a significant altered level of consciousness, consider 
inserting an OP airway or an NP airway. Now for circulation, the genital urinary system can be a significant source of bleeding. Assess the pulse rate and quality. Determine the skin condition, color, and temperature. You should also check capillary refill time. Closed injuries do not have visible signs of bleeding, so shock may be present. Assessment of the pulse and skin signs will indicate how aggressively to treat for shock. Control bleeding if visible bleeding is seen. Significant bleeding is a life threat and must be controlled quickly. Now, as far as your transport decision, an injury to the genitourinary system can be life-altering. These injuries often require medical specialists for specialized care. All right, history taking. As usual, investigate the chief complaint. Common associated complaints with genital urinary injuries are nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, blood in the urine, hematuria, vomiting blood, hematoemesis, and abnormal bowel and bladder habits. Now, under your sample history, use OPQRST to learn about the patient's pain. Ask the patient about output from the genital urinary system and ask if there is any blood in the urine. You should also ask about allergies to medications or environmental triggers. The importance of past medical history cannot be overstated. Repeated or previous injuries or illnesses can help determine the extent of the current injury or illness. Before you finish your assessment, we also need to know when the patient's last intake of food and fluids occurred. It is important because it can predict the genital urinary system contents. And last, address the events leading up to the injury. All right, let's now talk about the secondary assessment. Under your physical examination, the genitourinary system injuries can be awkward to assess and treat. Privacy is a genuine concern. When the patient has an isolated injury, focus on that and the body region affected. Look for DCAP BTLS, identify wounds, and control bleeding. For significant trauma, start with a full body scan to see if there is trauma affecting multiple systems. Presence of penetrating injury indicates possible internal injuries that should be managed accordingly. Presence of burns must be noted and managed immediately. Palpate for tenderness to localize the injury and presence of fractures. Look for lacerations and local swelling. Now with vital signs, obtain the patient's vital signs. It is important to reassess vital signs to identify how quickly the patient's condition is changing. Signs such as tachycardia, tachypnea, low blood pressure, weak pulse, and cool, moist, and pale skin indicate hypoperfusion, aka shock. Evaluate the need for rapid transport. Use a pulse ox and non-invasive blood pressure devices when available. Last, let's talk about the reassessment. Repeat the primary assessment and vital signs. Reassess the interventions and treatment you have provided. Now, as far as your interventions, provide oxygen if there are signs of dyspnea or shock and maintain a patent airway. Attempt to control bleeding and treat for shock. Place patients in position of comfort and transport. Now last, communication and documentation. Communicate your concerns to the hospital staff. Describe all injuries and treatment given. Documentation should be complete and thorough. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've actually been going strong now for about 24 minutes. So let's go ahead and take that much needed break once again. 
stand up, grab something to drink, something to eat, and let's clear that mind and let's get back to some learning. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are coming to an end of this podcast very soon, I promise. Okay, emergency medical care of genital urinary injuries. Let's first talk about the kidneys. Damage may not be obvious upon inspection. However, you will see signs of shock and possible blood in the urine. Treat for shock, transport promptly, and monitor vital signs en route to the hospital. Let's now talk about the urinary bladder. Suspect a urinary bladder injury if you see blood at the urethra opening or signs of trauma to the lower abdomen, pelvis, or perineum. If shock or associated injuries are present, transport promptly and monitor vital signs en route. Now, external male genitalia. There are a few general rules for treatment of injuries to the external male genitalia. Injuries are painful, so make the patient as comfortable as possible. Use sterile, moist compresses to cover areas stripped of skin. Apply direct pressure with dry, sterile gauze dressing to control bleeding. Never move or manipulate foreign objects in the urethra. Identify and take avulsed parts to the hospital with the patient. If the patient has an avulsion of skin on the penis, wrap the penis in a soft, sterile dressing moistened with sterile saline. Transport promptly. Use direct pressure to control any bleeding. Try to save and preserve the evolved skin. Now, if you have an amputation of the penile shaft, managing blood loss is the top priority. Use local pressure with a sterile dressing on the remaining stump. Never apply a constricting device. Surgical reconstruction is possible if you can locate the amputated part. Wrap it in a moist, sterile dressing, place it in a bag, and transport it in a cool container without it directly touching any ice. We also have another injury involving the penis. If the connective tissue surrounding the erectile tissue is severely damaged, the shaft can be fractured or severely angled. Sometimes this injury requires surgical repair. Injury may occur during particularly active sexual intercourse. It's associated with intense pain, bleeding into the tissues, and fear. The next injury we have is an accidental laceration of the head of the penis, and this is associated with very heavy bleeding. Local pressure with a sterile dressing will usually stop the hemorrhage. Now, if you haven't seen the movie Something About Mary, I would tell you that after this lecture, this should be the first thing you watch as we're going to talk about when the skin of the penis or the foreskin gets caught in the zipper of pants. Yes, this is a very common event. If a small segment of the zipper is involved, you can try to unzip the pants. However, if a longer segment is involved, you need to use heavy scissors to cut the zipper out of the pants to make the patient more comfortable. But prior to doing this, explain what you're going to be cutting to the patient and be careful not to injure the scrotum while cutting and then you'll transport your patient. Now, urethra injuries in the male are not uncommon. Lacerations of the urethra can result from straddle injuries, pelvic fractures, and penetrating wounds of the perineum. 
it is important to know if the patient can urinate and if there is blood in the urine. Save any urination for later examination at the hospital. Any foreign bodies protruding from the urethra will have to be surgically removed. We're now going to talk about an avulsion of skin to the scrotum. Avulsion of the skin of the scrotum may damage scrotal contents. Preserve the evolved skin in a moist, sterile dressing for possible use in reconstruction. Wrap the scrotal contents or the perineal area with a sterile, moist compress and use local pressure dressings to control bleeding. We also then have direct blows to the scrotum. Direct blows to the scrotum can result in the rupture of a testicle or significant accumulation of blood around the testes. Apply an ice pack to the scrotal area and transport your patient. All right, enough with the male stuff. We're now going to talk about the female genitalia. Treat lacerations, abrasions, and avulsions with moist, sterile compresses. Use local pressure to control bleeding. Hold dressings in place with diaper-type bandages. Do not pack dressings into the vagina. Leave any foreign bodies in place after stabilizing with bandages. Injuries are painful, but generally not life-threatening. A hospital evaluation is required for these injuries. Transport urgency is determined by associated injuries, the amount of hemorrhage, and the presence of shock. All right, we're going to end this part of the podcast with rectal bleeding. Rectal bleeding is a common complaint. Bleeding from the rectum may present as blood in or soaking through undergarments or may be passed in the toilet with a bowel movement. Possible causes include sexual assault, rectal foreign bodies, hemorrhoids, colitis, and ulcers in the digestive tract. Significant rectal bleeding can occur after hemorrhoid surgery. These injuries can lead to significant blood loss and shock if left untreated. Unfortunately, as an EMT, you're possibly going to respond to patients who have been sexually assaulted. So we need to talk about this under this lecture. Sexual assault and rape are all too common. Victims are generally women. Sometimes men and children are victims. Often there is little that you can do beyond providing compassion and transport. The patient may have sustained multi-system trauma and need treatment for shock. Do not examine the genitalia unless obvious bleeding requires application of a dressing. Follow your appropriate procedures and protocols. Shield the patient from curious onlookers. Document the patient's history, assessment, treatment, and response to treatment for possible court appearances. Do not speculate, record only the facts. Follow any crime scene policy, follow any crime scene policy of your EMS system. Advise the patient not to wash, bathe, shower, douche, urinate or defecate until after a physical examination. If oral penetration occurred, advise the patient not to eat, drink, brush the teeth, or use mouthwash until after a physical examination. Handle the patient's clothes as little as possible. Place articles of clothing or other evidence in paper bags. Do not use plastic bags because mold can grow and destroy evidence. Make sure that the EMT caring for the patient is of the same gender as the patient whenever possible. Treat medical injuries and provide privacy, support, and reassurance.
I really hate ending this lecture with that solemn topic, but it is what it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this lecture. However, before you leave, I have some exciting news. At our website, thepublicsafetyguru.com, I will be adding a folder under Learning Tools offering free samples of our members-only exclusive content. All you have to do is head on over to the website, register for free, and check out what we have to offer. Remember, for the price of a fast food meal, or even maybe a cup of coffee, you gain valuable access to exclusive content to aid you in your learning or passing the NREMT exam. Last, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, or I should say, last now, Tell your friends and fellow EMT students about this podcast, please. It helps with these things called analytics where more people discover this podcast. And my goal is to make this the number one EMT lecture podcast in the United States. All right. Happy EMTing, everyone, and good luck.